Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And guess what, you guys? Today, I get to just sit here and listen to a case be presented to me. You do. I want you to just lay back and sit there pretty. And we're recording in the morning, Uh so I brought mimosas, Mm. and it's low acid orange juice because we're old as fuck. old. And when I saw that it was low acid, I could have cried a little tear of joy that you thought of my gut health. Yeah, well, tell the listeners what you said when I texted you and said, uh... Hey, how do you feel about mimosas? And I said, they make me as happy as a pig rolling in his own excrement. And I said, that is exactly what I was going for. And it's true. I am as happy as a pig rolling in shit right now. I see something next to our kangaroo sack. I was just getting ready to to shake the crystal dicks yep. here. Shake them is- up. And then I'm going to give listeners a new sound. Okay. I'm going to rattle some bones. Ooh. They are not only bones, but they are raccoon Penis bones. Oh my God, I'm touching a raccoon penis. <laughs> yes, Thank you. Yes, you are. They look terrifying. Those poor female raccoons. There's like a hook on this thing. We have to thank our Patreon, Brandy, for thinking of us. And after the many raccoon jokes that have been thrown around on Crime Curious. We're so sorry. You're right. Uh, She just, she found these and had them sent to us. And it was so thoughtful. I actually never thought that I would call getting raccoon penis bones thoughtful. But here we are. We live in a weird world, but these are perfect and Brandy, we love them. I'm we- a little concerned when you say Brandy found these. Oh, online. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think she harvested them. <laughs> Brandy, are you harvesting raccoon, raccoon. bones? Boners. <laughs> I know. I was going to say it, but thank you for being more crass than me. You make me feel better about myself as I know, a person some days. why I'm here. Truly. <laughs> yes. Are you ready for a story? I'm so ready. You have no idea how happy this makes Good. me today. Well, uh, I'm trying to stick here with our Shocktober. Mm-hmm. And what better to get all spooky and more Halloween-like than to travel south to okay. Louisiana, mm-hmm. which is the home of American voodoo. Oh, Are you ready yes. for some voodoo? I am. I actually don't know a whole lot about voodoo, so I'm very oh, excited. Well, I'm going to tell you some. So first thing... Of course, we always list our sources, but there was a primary source here that I really want to acknowledge. So this um, lovely and very well-educated man, Vance McLaughlin, Mm. who for the Homicide Research Working Group at a symposium in 2012 in Chicago, wrote just really great facts and statistics regarding this case. So I used him heavily uh, amongst other podcasts and such. So good job, Vance. And also, do you kind of want to go to the Homicide Research Working Group? I really do. How do we get an invite to this? I don't know. If anybody out there knows, send us a DM. Yeah, I think we we should look it up. So these are the voodoo axe murders of 1911 to 1912. And before we get started, have you heard of it? You're bringing me back old timey too? And it's old timey. I'm so giddy right now. So it's very interesting, but 
In the early 1900s, specifically around that 1911 and 1912 time frame, there was an anomaly that was noticed in crime statistics with axe murders, specifically axe murders in the South and some West as well. And then there's a really big one, which I'm going to mention briefly, that even starts toward the East and travels its way down. So axe murders and axe murderers are popular in the early 1900s. Is this because that was the easiest weapon to procure? I think it was an easy Easy weapon to procure, yes. Not highly traceable, especially when you get to the facts of what was occurring in this case. Okay. And you also need to keep in mind, what was a popular means of transportation in the early 1900s? Trains. Oh, right. Yeah. Early, yeah. Okay, okay. So you okay. have all of these murders occurring along major train lines in the U.S., and which made it accessible to get to more places. Is it easier to keep an axe hidden than it would be something else more? Or you don't have to hide the axe because they're at every house you might go well, to. Well, of course they are because this is how you cut your wood to get you survival, know, right? Right. But before we get to the actual axe murders, I want to tell you about voodoo because you need to keep this in mind. I I really want to hear about voodoo. All right. So voodoo came to New Orleans, Louisiana via Haiti. And this is supposed to have been during a slave insurrection known as the Haitian Revolution. Okay. It was said to have originated perhaps as organized in the 1500s in Haiti. Wow. But voodoo has roots since the beginning of civilization in Africa. And it's been known as many different things things in those African religions. I was waiting for Africa. Oh yeah, okay. it was going to come up. During the slave trading boom in North America, this was a slave response, uh, voodoo was, to mm-hmm. maintain their sense of community. So New Orleans voodoo is said to have been brought by slaves around the 18th century when Haitian slaves fled to Louisiana. Okay. Voodoo queens are well known throughout voodoo lore. So these roots are put down by women, powerful women, who assisted in leading this movement to actually establish a religion. Voodoo has been highly misrepresented in pop culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of us have probably seen, and by us, I don't mean you, like American Horror Story (laughs) and those type of things, and and movies where it's uh, popularized and really kind of um, Satanized to some extent. Yeah, yeah. The role of these voodoo queens has been distorted from respected religious leaders to that of Satanists or witches who performed barbaric rituals of human sacrifice, summoning of demons and spirits and blood rituals. And I will tell you that cases like the one I will present today don't help. Oh, sure. So voodoo is actually a mesh of traditional West African religions, Roman Catholicism and Haitian voodoo. This is how it is down in New Orleans, at least. Okay. And I'm going to tell you some of their deities just because I found it interesting. You always have to know if there's something or someone that you worship. Of course. So there's the Blanc Dani, the Grand Zombie, and Papa Labat. And sacrifices. Oh, Did Papa you like Labat. That? Papa Labat. Oh, it rolls off the tongue so beautifully. It does. It does. And sacrifices on altars were made to them. Charms in voodoo become especially prominent, and they're important in this case as well. So Grigri, and it's G-R-I-S, G-R-I-S. And I do have a friend from the New Orleans area who was helping me pronounce all of these things. Oh, so, so I hope that I, I don't upset him because these I worked on this. So Grigri, <laughs> these are charms and they're charms usually of protection and luck, but some were for harm, mm. powers of suggestion and poison. So remember, voodoo is originally supposed to be a healing religion using herbs, charms, and amulets. But evil charms did exist. Uanga, O-U-A-N-G-A, so Uanga, 
was a charm used to poison an enemy. And it was said to have toxic... Of course, the wang is going to the poison the enemy. The wang poisons the enemy. The enemy. It poisons it. many of us, actually. I get it. To poison an enemy said to have toxic roots from the figuar mondi tree brought from Africa. That actually oh. means poisonous fig tree, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Voodoo was never banned in Louisiana. Laws regulated when and where African-American people could gather. So often oh. practices were secretly set up uh, up and down the Mississippi River. This makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to get into that culture in just a minute as yeah. well in terms of what we were looking at time frame wise here with racism in America. Mm -hmm. In the 19th century, this brought us a people who definitely attracted attention. And you still know those names today. And that's your Marie Laveau mm -hmm. and Dr. John. Okay. By the early 20th century, voodoo had declined and practices actually continued as hoodoo, hoodoo being a brand of African-American supernaturalism. And this will be something to remember later. But a lot of that use of charms and spells uh, came about and there became a little reference to gods or deities at that point in time. It's really just about the, the herbs and the medicine man aspect of it. Okay. Or woman. Oh, right. Okay. As we're talking, I'm literally sent. Sen you have set up a row of crystal decks here. I have because I feel like they need to be charged while we are so I'm exposing them to the light to charge them while we're talking about this and I am talking about voodoo and it appears that you are setting up some type of an altar <laughs> it does kind of look like that doesn't so, it? a shrine if you will a, a shrine is fine <laughs> but if you start to slip something in my mimosa here I'm, I'm moving okay mm -hmm. so why is voodoo so popular today Voodoo dolls and charms, etc. Those type of things that people think of when you think about voodoo. Yeah. Well, in the early 1960s uh, in New Orleans, the tourist industry or tourism industry needed to attract visitors and a voodoo revival occurred. Oh, this time drawing on other African diasporic religions such as Haitian voodoo or Vodun. Voodoo is now usually associated, by the way, with Louisiana voodoo, which distinguishes it from voodoo. Okay. And distinguished from Cuban Santeria. Oh. So voodoo's mostly an oral tradition. There's no formal creed or text. Mm -hmm. There's no organization, really. Surprisingly, many voodoo practitioners are also practicing Roman Catholics. So we're relying on the game of telephone to we get are. all this down. We are. It is a giant game of telephone passed down, usually matriarchal. These, mm -hmm. are, these are usually these the priestesses, but there are priests as well. Um, and of course, as I indicated before, it's really become meshed with these other uh, voodoo-esque religions um, or ones that are comparable to because I don't want to minimize their importance. They have their own sure. uh, um, starts as well. Some of the deities that I thought you'd find interesting since I mentioned them before. So the Blanc Denny is sometimes called in New Orleans Monsieur Danny. Oh, Monsieur Danny. I'm, also, I'm you like really Monsieur Danny? Monsieur Danny. They also call him Voodoo Magnion. Oh. And here's the best one Grandfather Rattlesnake. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Grandfather Rattlesnake. I feel like now that is the ultimate. Right. It should come as no surprise that he is a serpent symbolizing discord and the defeat of enemies. Makes sense. He also may be their grand zombie, great spirit. And did you know that zombie actually comes from Congo Bantu, Nzambi, which means God? I did not. You do now. I really do. And I like that a lot better than what Americans 
create zombies over. I do as well. I, I would want to hope that they're actually not peeling grotesque creatures, but there is something endearing about, you know, a rotting human walking around. An ear falling off here and there. An ear falling off here and yeah, there. trying to eat your brains. Yeah, sure, I've, sure. I've been their buddy. We've all had bad days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you can tell he had a trial today. <laughs> Papa Labatt, who I mentioned as well. I is, think this might be my favorite. Okay, this is why. So he's sometimes called Liba, Labast, or Labalimba. Yeah. Say it. Labalimba. Labalimba. And he was a trickster deity. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that's you like why him. That's why I like him. Mm-hmm. He's basically your Loki, if you go to your Norse mythology. Oh, okay. There was also Monsieur Asantir, who meant good fortune. So You're sh- doing amazing at the, this. Thank you. I Like I said, I had help. Oh. Monsieur Agassou is love. Oh, I like how that sounds. I said the important ones. Monsieur Agassou. But there are dozens more. I'm not going to get into those. Sure. That's so, awesome. Good. I'm glad you like them. We can we can pray to one of them if you'd like with those. Oh, uh, pa- Papa Latir. Papa, Papa Labat. Oh, Papa Labat. Papa Labalimba. <laughs> I'm just going to make it my own, apparently. Sure. Make up your own. Make up your own voodoo gods. And who's going <laughs> to argue with you as you're over here making yourself a gree-gree? I mean, clearly I'm already well on my I'm way. I'm getting nervous. I'm not going to correct you. <laughs> Louisiana voodoo is described as matriarchal. So girl power. Of course. Priestesses and mothers. And really, it's a feminist religion. Mm-hmm. This makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, from it the does. little that I actually know about actual voodoo, not like our, the American, you know, I know we trend, tend to make it more evil. That's not. We do. And again, cases like this are not going to help, especially no. with the girl power that you're no. going to see happen. But I was expecting that this came from an actual place of religion, not evilness. And that's what I was excited. That to is correct. And, and that is what I think most practitioners still would say mm-hmm. uh, who are practicing voodoo, because again, most of them are also Christian or Roman Catholic. Yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting how they have meshed those those cultures as well. Well, and I would even argue in every religion, there are Gigi's. There are different symbols, right, that we have. How many people you're wearing a cross right now? I am. I mean, that's this isn't much different from that if you really think about it. No, it's not. So another interesting fact is that they also believe that this Louisiana voodoo, especially the matriarchal piece of it, was a resistance to racial and gender, gender oppression during mm-hmm. the slave revolution and mm-hmm. up through the mid-1900s. Also makes sense. So racism in the early 1900s, and I'm just going to touch on this briefly because I think it's important and our listeners need to keep in mind what was happening during this time mm-hmm. frame. Of interest and just a decade prior to the voodoo axe murders, the Supreme Court had decided Plessy versus Ferguson, which is your separate but equal. So separate but equal facilities for African-Americans would satisfy the 14th Amendment, according Mm -hmm. to that ruling, giving legal sanction then to Jim Crow segregation laws. Mm -hmm. Note, it would not be until around 19 in 1954 until the decision of Brown versus Board of Education, where segregated schools were found to be inherently unequal. Mm hmm. In 1909, which is just two years prior to these murders being taken, the NAACP had actually formed to promote legal rights of black Americans in the court systems. And keep in mind also that in a three-year period, so just during this time frame of this case, 170 black Americans were lynched. 1911 and 1912, at least 12 African-American families were murdered in their homes. This is this case. All in Louisiana and Texas, and all along the Southern Pacific Railway Line. Okay. All of the murders, Charnel, 
were at night mm-hmm. and an ax was used to fracture the skulls of victims. Mm-hmm. We are talking total families. So even though this mm-hmm. is an old timey case, mm-hmm. please keep in mind that trigger alert, these total families include everybody from adults to infants. Mm-hmm. Familiacide. It was familiacide. This later was determined or at least considered in most of my research to be a string of sacrificial killings. Oh, fuck. You ready? We're getting into it. I'm going to slap you right across the face with that crystal dick and I'm going to give it to you, right? I'm going to rub some for good luck. All right. Let's go, sister. On January 28th of 1911 in Crowley, Louisiana, William Byers, his wife and six-year-old son were killed in their sleep. Okay. Bodies were found three days later Mm. on February 3rd, 1911 by a police officer after a neighbor had walked by noticing a foul Mm. smell. God. It's it's hot in Louisiana, guys. Even muggy. Even in February. Yeah. They were said to be members of a local, and here's my air quotes, unnamed church. Mm. So you can stick that in your back pocket as well. All right. Putting a pin in it. The front door was locked from the inside. And the murder is therefore assumed to have gained entrance from a rear window. At the time, they indicated there were no usable clues. But the scene was gruesome. The scene's a clue, Charnel. Oh, I was just going to say, do you mean the murders are not a usable clue? Well, this is the first one. Mm. So as they're investigating, they're like, what the fuck, right? This is yeah. awful. This is not something they're used to walking in on in Crowley, Louisiana. Sure. Rural. I mean, very rural. A child involved. The family was murdered in a bedroom, bludgeoned by an axe. And here's your trigger alert. Mm. There was a bucket of blood and blood stain and a blood-stained axe left on the scene that was propped up by the bucket. A bucket? Like they filled the bucket with oh, blood? Oh, they filled the bucket with blood. Oh. The victim's skulls were split open and their sheets were soaked in blood. Sure. Some accounts were that the bucket was positioned to catch the blood draining from the sheets. Oh, hate that. You will hate this. This leaving of the axe at the scene will become a constant. And the axe is almost always thought to belong to the owner of the home. Uh Uh-huh. So this is like a signature call sign. It is a call sign of sorts. Mm -hmm. So these are all rural towns where there would certainly be an axe for daily use at all of them. The local newspaper at that time in 1911 called it the most brutal murder in the history of this section. But it's almost genius. You hop on a train, you can find an axe at every house because this is how people are cutting wood to keep their, you know, houses warm and other things. And so, it, I mean, every home is just set up already perfectly. It is. And these are all within miles, certainly walking distance oh, of, of a train stop to jump mm-hmm. off a train. Mm-hmm. In February, so we're, we're a month later, February 24th, 1911, in Lafayette, Louisiana, Alexander and Mimi Andrus and their two children, Joachim and Agnes, were murdered in their homes. This is three weeks and 30 miles east of the Andrus family murders. Okay. Mimi's sister, Nina, was living in another home, presumably near the Andrus family, And was startled at 7 a.m. when her son, coming in from doing chores, screamed that Nina's sister had been murdered. When Nina sees them, all four were found laying in a bed and an axe was found left at the scene on the floor. This was one report. The bodies were still warm. Oh, fuck. This had just happened. Holy shit. Yes. 
Yep. So talk about uh, uh, waking up in the morning and, and going out to do your chores and uh, escaping death narrowly yourself. Uh, well, that, uh, exactly. And also talk about cutting it close. You know when the sun's going to come up, people. Exactly. Wow. So rigor mortis hasn't set in. These these bodies are still warm to the touch. They believe the entry was made through a kitchen door. There's another account in terms of, because uh, I indicated before that they were laying in their beds. Yeah. And this is the one that I think is the most accurate and the most disturbing. The most disturbing is probably the most accurate. This account says that Alexander and Mimi Andrus were propped and positioned kneeling as if in prayer mm. after they had been um, axed in the head. Chief, you don't like it, right? Mm-mm. Chief Detective Peck believed that the murders of the Andrus family were caused by either jealousy or rage. But he didn't say why. Yeah. Who, who's got a beef with the with this family? And, and there wasn't one. Nothing has ever, no one has ever come forward indicating that there was any type of a, of a beef, some type of a, a jealousy issue here that would indicate that there was anything that had happened within the family or even a close friend or anything like that. Yeah. He also believed, and, and this may be accurate, that a number of people were involved in the murders. So there's a possibility Now there. that would make sense to me with the sheer amount of murders that have happened and all at once. I mean, you've got to think you probably take the dad out first, but the mom is going to try to defend. They're sleeping. Right. But wouldn't they wake up at some point in time? You know, I mean, if you You don't have one person, if you only had one person, I feel like it leaves you as the murderer more vulnerable to being taken out by another family member. You're going to hear things that are going to disturb you about that throughout this case because all of these axe murders occurred at night when families were sleeping in bed. And there's only a couple of instances where there's any indication whatsoever that somebody may have w- woken up. Okay. Uh, but and don't most families in this time share a family bed? They do. And yeah. so indicating, like on these, of course, uh, Alexander and Mimi were in bed. Um, it says that they were propped. And you're going to hear about like children sleeping in either a different bed or on a floor or sometimes at the foot of the bed, mm-hmm. which was normal as mm-hmm. well. So yeah, one, probably mm. one room or two-room houses we're talking about here. I think there's more than one person involved. I think you have a very good theory to start off with. (sighs) Two days after these murders, a man by the name of Raymond Barnabet was arrested. Okay. It doesn't say why, but then he was released. Someone in town was like, I fucking hate that Barnabet guy. Oh, they did. it was him. They did, and we're going to get there (laughs) in just a minute, too. So he was arrested, but then he was released two days later for lack of evidence. Sure, okay. A month later... On March 21st of 1911, in San Antonio, Texas, I've heard, or Beaumont, Texas. Okay. Beaumont is usually the one that I've heard, but in terms of actual statistics, I tend to believe my friend here, Mr. McLaughlin, who indicates San Antonio, Texas. He seemed to have really done his research. He's the research I trusted the most in here. Yeah. Alfred and Elizabeth Cassaway and their three children were murdered. Mm. Note... Elizabeth is the only known white victim in all of these murders. Really? So these are all African-American families that are being murdered. Elizabeth just happens to be white, um, and she's with her mate who is African-American and and their children. But if this is racially driven in their eyes at that point in time, then if that's what she's doing, that's wrong, and she might as well also be black. Right. Right. That's that. That's a potential. Mm-hmm. And and then the other thought is that these families were being targeted, um, and and we'll get to perhaps some whys later. Um, and that she just happened to happened to be a white victim there, happened mm-hmm. to be the wife or consort. We're not going to leave at someone. that point. No, no, mm-hmm. we can't leave witnesses, mm-hmm. right? 
Alfred was found in his bed with his daughter Louise at the foot of the bed. Trigger alert. The backs of their heads were crushed. The other bodies were in an adjoining room on the north side of the house. Elizabeth was on the bed with her daughter Josie lying across her feet with her brains exposed. I just realized I'm mostly just grunting and groaning this episode. I'm, I'm adding no value but noise. This is what happens usually when I talk, so uh. <laughs> it's going to get worse. Okay. Her five-month-old son, Carlisle, oh, fuck. was said to have been killed in his mother's arms. No. The axe was oh. again... I'm sorry, Charnel. It's all right. The axe was again found at the scene and nothing of value. So no robberies in any of these cases. Nothing of value was stolen. Yeah. After a few false leads, police began to focus again on Raymond Barnabat, a local petty criminal and sharecropper from Lafayette who lived in the bad part of town. Well, sure. Raymond was arrested based on suspicions from his mistress, who, after a fight, had griped about him to a friend and suggested a possible connection to the murders. Nailed it. Yep. Okay. Yep. You done pissed off your girlfriend. You sure did. Your mistress. Yeah. And she was like, no what, motherfucker? Right. I'm going to start implementing incriminating it, yes after mm. this fight she I remember he was a man of uh, of suspicion anyway because he he wasn't real well liked charnel interesting he's a petty theft but nothing was stolen right? correct so correct that, he's just known as a loki local petty uh criminal right. there can't keep his little hands to himself he both cannot. off the women and off other the women items off the, the items and off the hooch oh Okay, liked himself so some drinky. He drink. liked himself some drinky drink, okay. and and apparently he had pissed done pissed off the mistress here as well. Okay, yeah, you don't want to do that. After this lead, <laughs> Raymond Barnabet was rearrested in July of 1911 and remained in jail until his trial on October 19th, 1911. Oh, Barnabet, Barnabet, Barnabet. So here's what we know about the Barnabet family. Okay. The all African American. Everybody in in the story in terms of victims and stu- suspects are are African American by the way. So okay. I'm just going to I your eyes opened yeah. wide cuz you're thinking maybe this was a hate crime of some of some course. type, right? Right. I don't I doubt uh, that anyone hearing this for the first time was maybe thinking the same thing. Well, uh, just okay. you wait. Barnabet. Okay. Raymond Barnabet, his wife slash companion cuz her last name is Porter. So oh, Dina Porter, okay, their son Zephyrin and their daughter Clementine are who we're going oh, to talk about. I love those names. You have some fantastic names in these this case. Are, by these the way. are. They reportedly have two other sons and maybe perhaps even another daughter who I'm assuming are adults, by the way, and not yeah. living with them anymore. Okay. But at the time of these events, it was just the four of them in the household. Raymond Barnabet was a sharecropper and local petty criminal, as mm-hmm. I indicated. He is lovingly described as violent, Mm. abusive to his wife and to his children, and chronically unfaithful. Oh, okay. So stand-up citizen of the town. Stand-up citizen. People were not fans. Yeah. I feel like I know him. We we probably both do. (laughs) Not much is known about Dina other than that she was forced to admit at his trial that he had threatened to kill her a month earlier. Okay. The Barnabet family had moved to Lafayette, Louisiana in 1909 and lived in extreme poverty in a rundown part of town. And it was reportedly a type of a duplex that they were living in. 
Clementine had actually been born in 1894 in St. Martinsville, Louisiana, uh, prior to moving with her family in Lafayette. So they spent um, a number of years, uh, you know, almost you know, 17, 16 years or so someplace else uh, before they came to the Lafayette area. Okay. Which is probably where the older children were conceived and, and born potentially, and maybe stayed. But mm-hmm. we know where potentially the daughter who is rumored to have existed, the older daughter lives. Because okay. I'm going to get to that in a few minutes. All right. But I need a drink of my low acid mimosa. Yeah. Don't blame you. The trial of William Barnabet. Barnabet did not take the stand during his trial. And this is common and normal. Sure. He was described as sitting dejectedly behind the defense table with some audible phrases being heard in the courtroom as his family testified against him. Goodbye. Ed Mofutu. I am gone. Were phrases he repeated. Ed Mofutu? Mofutu. Oh, Oh. here it gets better. Interestingly, and with some research from my uh, New Orleans Cajun friend, Monfutu, where is my? And then you would commonly use that term with damn or fucking money. Like, where's my (laughs) Monfutu money? Okay. Is the equivalent of them saying I'm fucked or oh "Oh, fuck. Well, this makes sense. Yeah. That tracks. Barnabas is here saying basically goodbye. I'm I'm fucked. I'm gone. This is over. Yep. Okay. Okay. Dina Porter, their son Zephyrin, and their daughter Clementine all testified, and the testimony was contradictory. Clementine testified that he returned one night in the early morning hours, the night the Andrus family was murdered, and that his blue shirt was covered in blood and brains. She insists that he bragged that he had killed a whole family and told her to wash the blood out of his clothes, and that she did. Zephyrin testified about the bloody clothes, too, and stated that his father said that he had killed the Andrews family. So he corroborates Clementine. Mm-hmm. Dina Porter, however, and remember, we're in a small townhouse, basically, uh, in, a, in a bad part of town. These are rundown places. You know, there's not multiple rooms in here, right? Right. She denies seeing any bloody clothes or hearing a confession at all. But she was forced to admit on the stand that Raymond had threatened to kill her a month earlier. So basically, she was discredited. Okay, I have a couple questions. I see for you. you making notes. I do. I like to make notes when a case is to keep keep track of my thoughts here. Do you think, and maybe you'll get to this, that the children were forced, coerced by law enforcement to testify like this? I do not. Okay. And it just made me wonder if being, you know, older and more sound in who she is as a person, if maybe the wife, Deanne, would feel more comfortable going against what the police, you know, wanted. So, but you say you you think not. So that gives me that. Can we also point out that in this time, a husband being violent and domineering wouldn't necessarily be out of the ordinary? It wouldn't have been. But you're going to find out, and, and I'll, I'll just get to it now. He had some really good attorneys. Isn't that interesting? Really? That is interesting. It is. He had three attorneys. Hmm. Is this an organization and he was just the... Well, remember a, a, remember a couple of things. So the NAACP had recently formed. Yep. They are uh, attempting here some type of, of and I'm going to use the term equality loosely mm-hmm. in terms of the legal justice system. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to remember that in Louisiana, they use the French system of government and they still do. So the rest of the U.S. uses common law. Mm-hmm. The French system of government is, there's no real common law. Every case is basically anew. It's on its own. And, and so setting precedent is, is hard. Mm-hmm. Not that they don't and they've come around and things are a lot different now. It's actually a really interesting thing to get into. He was well represented. 
despite what happens here. Interesting. Even though the laws had just changed. Now that, I, I love that detail. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask you about my other two notes that I had here? Please. And maybe you will get to this, but as you're going through the timeline of these poor victims' families' deaths, I'm noticing they're all about like one month away from each other. Are they perfectly timed to try to maybe coordinate with like the phases of the moon to make it more voodoo-esque? Nothing ever came up about phases of the moon, but I also am unsure as to how the railways were running at the time either for travel purposes. Right, yeah, because maybe they use the full moon more as it's lighter, you know, those phases or whatnot. It just, it just happened to be this thought that this is, if it's trying to be posed as sacrificial, that it would, co- you know, coordinate with the phases of the moon. And you started saying you were like three weeks later and then one month later, I'm like, now wait a second. The timing of these does become important, not because of the phases of the moon, but because of the potential for how and who could have done these things. Okay. As I indicated, Dina was basically discredited on, on, the, stand. on the stand. All right. Clementine and Zephyrin testified that they were scared for their lives if their father was not found guilty. Oh. Remember, this man had beaten them. Mm, mm-hmm. All right. They, they lived with the violence. And, and now they've testified against him. Of course, they're they scared have. for their so life. So they're like, if you let him out, uh, they pleaded with the judge to keep him locked up. And they had testified about his excessive drinking and violence. So they threw if it all out there. nothing else, lock him up because he's a piece of shit. Right. And threw yeah. him right under the bus, too, with these murders. Yeah. There was a fourth witness, a neighbor, who occupied the other half of the house where the Barnabats lived. Uh-huh. Interestingly, her testimony contradicted much of what Clementine said. She referred to the family during her testimony, possibly the children specifically, as filthy and degenerate. Oh, despite all of this, and here's a shocker, Raymond Barnabat was found guilty by an all-white jury and sentenced to hang. Oh, fuck. Okay. Now, here's where we get into the attorneys. Uh Barnabet had three attorneys and they appealed on a number of grounds. They posited that the prosecution had never proven any motive whatsoever. Okay. And would you agree with that? I I do. From what you've told me, I don't see There's no motive. He came home drunk one night, allegedly covered in blood and brains and said, I killed the whole damn Anders family. Okay. Right? How are we tying any of this together? It's not making sense. So that was a very accurate reason for the appeal. But Mm -hmm. the next part I love... Most surprisingly, they argued that Barnabet was intoxicated during his trial (laughs) and therefore unable to assist them in his defense. Raymond Barnabet reportedly had drained a smuggled body, bottle, not body. Oh, he didn't drain a body. There's no vampires. Okay. Well, drained a smuggled bottle of wine in his cell before he was taken to court. Charnel. Okay. The appeal was granted. Oh, God. Yeah. They overturned sound mind. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. voluntary intoxication is is not a defense. Mm -hmm. Um, But somehow he was able to get wine and get himself drunk before the trial, not be able to assist his attorneys. And let's be honest, a lot of it's probably mostly based on the fact that there wasn't motive as well. Right. But was it his attorneys that gave him that bottle of wine? Well, we don't know. Just in case he needed that for an appeal. We don't know. Or was it jail hooch? Was he making it himself? Right. We don't know. But but it was overturned because of his intoxication as one of the reasons among many. I personally think the lack of motive is probably the, Mm -hmm. the main reason the appeal was granted. But the conviction was overturned and he was ordered a new trial. Now, Raymond did remain in custody because, of course, he couldn't post bond. Oh, right. They're going to keep him locked right. up. On November 27th of 1911, when Raymond Barnabet was still in jail, Norbert Randall, his wife Azima, 
Three of their children and a nephew were found murdered in mm-hmm. Lafayette, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. This is five weeks after the verdict while Raymond's in custody. Okay. Now about this murder. They were in their home, of course. Rural. Norbert and Azima were found in their bed. The four children were found dead on another bed. Mm. Trigger alert. There was a child's bloody footprint on the bed. No. Which indicated to investigators that one of the children had been thrown back on the bed before being killed. Yeah. Uh, hate this. I know. Jesus. So here we had one that, uh, like you said, it, somebody's bound to wake up at some point when your yeah. family's being axed. And in this yeah. case, it seems to be uh, have been a child. Well, I mean, there's this one had four children. There yes. were four children. Yeah. So you're talking six people. Even if you have a couple, you know, a few people doing this, you're still outnumbered. Right. I mean, so it's Norbert, Azima, their three kids, and then a nephew happened to be staying the night. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> now, this is the only case... That we have a deviation from axe as a murder weapon. Okay. They are still all axed. Don't the, All of the children okay. are axed. The wife is axed. But in this case, Norbert was shot in the forehead also. Really? Maybe because there were so many people. And we had to take the big guy out first. We can speculate. Yeah. Did he wake up? Right. But it indicates that he was laying in his bed. And axe, Was it at close range? Or doesn't it say? It doesn't say. But I'm going to make the assumption yes. Yeah. Because it goes on to indicate that... There was actually mosquito netting around the bed, which is going to be typical in your swampy area. Yeah. And an axe had cut through the mosquito netting in the bed. Okay. So I believe we have an axe cutting through mosquito netting and then the family being axed. But for some reason, Norbert was shot in the forehead. Mm -hmm. While an axe was used to murder the other family members, it should be noted... The Andrus family from before had been killed with the sharp edge of the axe. They were actually Mm -hmm. chopped. Mm -hmm. And the Randalls had been killed with the blunt side. So they were bludgeoned. Okay. Interesting. Was it because, do you think maybe the axe wasn't sharp? I don't know. We don't know. I'm going to speculate and guess that they realized this family hadn't been sharpening their axe. And so the other end would have been more useful. And I'm going to speculate that they probably had to take him out first and shot him and then... Just because of the sheer number of them in mm-hmm. there. Well, mm-hmm. then we also get to, and we're going to have to think, and you guys all, all choose for yourself, right? Was this one person? Is it possible there was one person? I Are there multiple people? I think there's multiple people. At least two. I mean, I, it's horrible to think that there is even one person capable of this, let or, alone two or more. Is this, we have Raymond Barnabas in jail, right? Is this a copycat? Right, right. Is this somebody like, let else? Let me just pick up where he left off. And now I'm going to add a, a gun because I'm not going to take my chances with just an axe. Exactly. Yes, very possible. So many, so many mysteries ah! here. And these are old. And there is more research out there than you would think for, for such an old-timey case because these axe murders um, were, were popular. I mean, they, oh, sure. they, were, they were the thing of, mm-hmm. of their time. But we still have a lot of information lacking Mm -hmm. and a lot of misinformation from what I heard as well. Well, when you rely on the game of telephone. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Shortly after the Randall family bodies were discovered, the sheriff followed a hunch. Some indicate he was consistently told that the Barnabet children were responsible. And there were multiple rumors beginning about the Barnabet family's involvement in voodoo and some strange church. Really? Okay. Clementine was said to have been living a short distance away as a housekeeper at a Mr. Guidry's house. When the police arrived, they found blood on the rear gate latch at Clementine's house. Really? Her room was searched and they found bloody clothes, 
which were described as having brain matter and human blood what on them. What the fuck? There's, I'm throwing you for a loop. Clemmy. Clementine, Shit. girl. Yes. So brain matter and human blood on them. So she, do they hate their dad and are like, we're framing him? Were they or all were in it they together? In it? Were they framing him? These are all very good questions. Oh, okay, okay. There were other arrests made that night. One included her brother, Zephyrin, who was later released with an alibi. How old are Clementine and Zephyrin at this point in time? Did you say or did we not 17. Know? Okay, they she were is teenagers. Sep- okay. Yes, she is 17 and I do not know. I don't believe it was ever indicated in any of my research whether he was a little older than her or a little younger than Probably her. Probably within two years. But they are very close. They're, they're yeah. both teenagers. Yeah. Enough that you would describe them as, you know, disgusting and degenerate. And mm-hmm. most people don't describe small children that right. way. Right, yep. <laughs> Even if they're dirty, they're, they're not described like right. that. So wow. Zephyrin has an alibi and you will find that that happens often with clementines named individuals because edwin charles and gregory porter were there that night as well um at this uh, mr guidry's house Uh both of them had been with her again that night of the murder but they were both later released as having um alibis isn't that weird yes yeah doesn't get into any of the actual investigation or what they said that caused the police to basically exonerate them and and let them on their way but suffice it to say that clementine is the primary suspect uh and is the one who is is arrested there's this dr metz from new orleans uh and new orleans is a ways away from from yes he confirmed that the blood and brains found on the Andrus family pillowcases match the blood and brains found on Clementine's clothing. Really? This he is can pretty this? Yes, he did. Jesus, it was probably pig blood and guts. Who, we don't fucking know. Who knows, Charnel? Stop it. Seriously, Stop this it. is pre-DNA. Apparently, I don't know whether they were at that time using uh, microscopes to see if something looked the same, but basically, and again, how, how do you know for sure? But right. he said that it matched. Okay. The and blood so and brains they're going to take his expert... I use the yes. air quotes with that. Yeah, testimony. the air quotes. Okay. Also, and, and now we start learning just a little about Clemmy here. During her interrogation, she was reported to be hysterically laughing, like uncontrollably, like crazy style. Oh, girl, hide your crazy and start acting she like a lady. She did not hide her crazy. She was um, all, go to go to a last episode screaming like a banshee, kind Ooh, of. She was okay. like losing it. Um, everything was funny. Uh, she was she was not in control. And we all know people who laugh when they're uncomfortable. I am one of them. Yeah, yes. this is a little bit different yeah, in terms of the description. This is more descriptions. of like a, like a break, like a psychotic. A psychotic break, mental illness, or just frankly, um, was she evil? It just had, yeah, no, no empathy, anything like that. Found this whole thing funny. Exactly. Okay. So with both Clementine and Raymond Barnabat lodged, on January 21st of 1912, Felix Broussard, his wife, and three children were murdered in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Why do we keep targeting families that have children? I mean, I know almost oh. everybody had them, but come on, this is purposeful. They were targeted for a reason. Yes. And and you're and we'll get a little bit into maybe not the why, but mm-hmm. just some more explanation because I don't know if we're ever going to know why. So they're murdered in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which, by the way, just so that we're keeping track of distance here and that it's still possible and that it's still along the South Pacific Railway. It is 76 miles west of Lafayette. Okay. So a train ride away. Yeah. The Broussard crime scene had similar evidence left as the prior axe murders, but with a couple of notable differences. At 10 o'clock in the morning of January 21st, a neighbor found the family dead in their home. The parents were alone in bed. Their heads were crushed with the blunt end of an axe. 
But it was not Felix's axe, which was found in the kitchen. Huh. So this is different. In fact, I believe they, and I don't know if I put it in my notes, I believe that the axe that was used was actually from a neighbor's house. Did they oh. not, could they not find the axe originally and just grab one right. from a neighbor's? But it was not the Did owner's axe. Did they accidentally axe. get into the neighbor's house and then realize they were in the wrong house, but they'd already had his axe? So or they, they grabbed the axe and realized that this wasn't a family? Right. Because these are whole families that are being killed. Yes. All right. The children are found in their beds. They appear to be unmoved. Their heads are crushed with the blunt end of the axe, which was ultimately found underneath their bed. The bucket of blood, Mm -hmm. it's here. Okay. It was found under the bed, collecting Mm. dripping blood from the sheets. The children's hands were splayed Uh, like this. Like if you spread your palm palm. with small pieces of wood or paper separating their five fingers. No, I don't like it. I don't know what it means, but I don't like it. We're getting, we're getting a little bit occulty now, right? There's no reason for it. And, And then let me explain to you. There's also something written on the wall and some people say it was in blood and some accounts believe it was in pencil. Probably wasn't ketchup. Right. A King James version of Psalm 912 was written on the wall. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. That's a lot to write in blood. And on the inside of the door was written human five. You got some goosey bumps? I don't like it. Now, the actual King James version quote, Charnel, Mm -hmm. is when he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. So the murder or murderers misquoted. Yeah, or changed. Exactly. So Rachel McCarthy James, in a book that she co-authored with her father, and I'm so going to read this book, by the way, is called The Man from the Train, The Mm -hmm. Solving of a Century-Old Serial Killer Mystery. She was perhaps the first person to recognize that this quote was actually a quote from the American novel Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh, God. Really? Yes. So the misquote on the wall that left out he remembereth them was actually quoted in Uncle Tom's Cabin, which certainly then could make this a reference perhaps to slavery uh-huh. and inequalities. Uh-huh. So was it truly a biblical misquote about investigating or making the Inquisition for blood? Mm-hmm. Irrespective, it has both biblical and uh, African-American slave connotations. Most definitely, yeah. And then just think about it. So they're making an inquisition for blood, and that could be taken two ways. One, they're doing uh, an investigation here to find perpetrators. Also, could it be considered that the individuals doing the murdering are making an inquisition for blood when they're doing the axing? Yes. He remembereth them. Well, I'm sorry, that part wasn't in there. Let me skip that. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he forgetteth not the cry of the humble. So he does not forget the cry of the humble. Mm-hmm. Who? Are, are the murders the humble? Are the ones being killed the humble? We, we, we don't know. Right. But we could speculate yeah. all day long. Yeah. And then remember, it's signed Human 5. Yeah. Human 5. So we'll get to it. We'll get to a few things. I have some ideas as well. And I'm interested in yours. Hysteria is afoot at this point. Absolutely. 
A newspaper, the El Paso Gazette, published an article on March 14th, 1912, titled Voodoo's Horrors Break Out Again. Oh, fuck. Yeah. At this point, people are fucking scared. Yeah, definitely. And note that before this newspaper article, because I just told you what happened with the hands being splayed, the buckets of blood, whatever. No one knew that. They knew after the March 14th, 1912 article came out. Okay. So this newspaper points out the specific information about the Broussard murders that included the splaying of hands of the children, the human five being written on the door, and it also mentioned the Warner and Wexford axe murders that had occurred in Crowley. Mm -hmm. I want to warn everybody that when you look these up, there are massive racial undertones, including the names of articles and the names of newspapers. They are they are they are obviously racist, but I, I just yep. want everybody to be aware when you look those up if you have um, sensitive proclivities. Yeah, it's a disgusting time in history. The axe murders attributed to the Man from the Train, which is the book that Rachel McCarthy James wrote, co-authored with her father. However, they don't match any possible voodoo implications. So before we jump to maybe this was all the man from the train just because he, by the way, typically used the blunt side of an axe, and that's what we have in two of these, there was never any buckets of blood or any type of ritualistic with his killings. But he was alleged, and it's, it's going to be a way longer episode at some point, but he was alleged to have traveled on trains to commit axe murders uh-huh. throughout the uh, United States in the early 1900s all kinds of rumors abound are these copycats clementine's in in jail at this Mm -hmm. point in time so's raymond i was gonna say raymond still is he is but he was ultimately released after this by the way oh okay clementine remains lodged okay but raymond was ultimately released so is it a copycat were other people involved with clementine charnel yeah she's in jail yeah are there other people involved are the human five actually five murderers oh girl you're so good it's like you do this for a living yeah Let's talk about voodoo, the Christ-sanctified holy church, and the church of sacrifice. Ooh, let's. That sounds like a fun topic. The church of sacrifice, by the way, is also a a cult that uses African-American 50-50 kind of equality with men and women leading it. Um, And this church of sacrifice is a cult that stems from the Christ-sanctified holy church. Okay. Now, the day prior to the Broussard family being found murdered in their homes, on January 20th of 1912... They're obviously still doing some investigating because King Harrison, first name King, King Harrison was arrested. King Harrison is a pastor or a reverend. He had set up sacrifice sect churches in a small number of towns. And I'm sorry, in a number of small towns, all of which were along the Southern Pacific Railway. Really? King Harrison adamantly denied that his church approved of any kind of voodoo or murder. He did, however, confirm the existence of the Church of Sacrifice within the Christ Sanctified Holy Church. Okay. He just denied like, having oh, anything to do, to with, do it. with it. Oh, I know that there's this little subsection of yeah. this church that's being set You know, okay. everybody has crazies, Charnel. Mm-hmm. I can't control my whole flock. Right. His headquarters church was near Lake Charles. You've heard me say that Uh before. It's one of our homicide sites. Yeah. He did tell the sheriff, you're going to love this, that on the night of the Randall murder, he had been walking near his house and Charnel, and you're there and you killed people. (laughs) No, he had been walking near the house and Clementine was there and told him to leave the area because a fight had taken place and police were on their way. Weird. I know. Really? So the Church of Sacrifice is apparently a cult that provided opportunity for males and females alike. And a 17-year-old girl 
named Clementine Barnabat had become, at her ripe old age, a leader of that cult. Okay. The Church of Sacrifice was supposed to hold the belief that killing sinners would get you riches and into heaven by human sacrifice. Oh, but why are these children sinners? They're too young to sin. The infant that died in his mother's arms is guilty of nothing but shitting his pants and crying. One of the rumors, and I could only find a couple of people that said this and no real hard facts, so I'm saying it, but I didn't even put it in my notes, mm-hmm. is that there is a possible link with all of the people murdered to them perhaps being involved with the Christ-sanctified Holy Church and or leaving that church. I was going to ask. Okay. And if you recall from the first murder that we went over, was that the Randalls? The buyers. Mm -hmm. It said that they were members of a quote-unquote unnamed Unnamed church, church. which I found interesting that that came up multiple times with no explanation. Yeah. I I was going to ask because just like in uh, domestically violent situations, the most dangerous time is when you're leaving. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Leaving a cult would be a a similar example. Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't do that. The African-American community at this point is terrified. Of course they are. Whole communities are arming themselves. Hopefully not with axes. They are arming themselves. In February of 1912, community members met at the Lafayette Baptist Church to get information to the police. So they were meeting for the purpose of just getting as much information as possible to give to the police. Sanctified church members started being arrested, uh, one being some convicted felon by the name of Abraham Nelson, who was ultimately exonerated. But I found it interesting that Abraham Nelson had been caught in people's homes previously. And when he was caught, he would quote from the Bible. Oh, Okay. That sounds familiar too, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, why is this a thing? It was written Ooh, on the wall. Shit. Right? So you get all these little things, but all these people are let go. There's there's alibis or they're somehow exonerated. So mm. that, I, are you getting creepy feelings mm-hmm. and vibes? Mm-hmm. So This is organized. It is. Yeah. That El Paso Gazette newspaper that gave the information about the splayed hands of the Broussard children also focused on the number five that the murderer had signed on the wall. It was rumored that Clementine Barnabat had five accomplices, making the murderers equal five. Good job. Mm-hmm. You guessed that earlier. How many little subsects did they have set up too? Did they have five subsets of the oh, church? Oh, of the church set up? Mm-hmm. That it does not say, okay. because I don't think he, King Harrison, wanted to get into real detail about oh, it, because, you know, yeah. he wasn't involved. He didn't want people knowing about his satellite locations? Right. This is a direct quote, and I apologize for its length. At Lafayette... It was five members of the Andrus family who were sacrificed. Mm-hmm. See, I actually had wondered about that initially too, but then I realized one family was six. Yeah, but, but listen, wasn't it the nephew who was there on accident? Girl, you are reading the quote before me. Sorry, let me get, I'm let so me, sorry. No, I love I'm your investigatory mind. Pieces together. Okay. And some people might say that, damn, this is a stretch. But um, at Lafayette, it was five members of the Andrus family who were sacrificed. At the same place, a few months later, five members of the Randall family had evidently been marked for slaughter, but a sixth, appearing upon the scene unexpectedly, met the fate of his kinsmen. At Crowley, last June, four members of the Warner family had undoubtedly been doomed to perish, but one, a child, had escaped. I'm sorry, and on that one where the child is alleged to have escaped, I believe it was just because he wasn't home or mm-hmm. he had left early. There was actually no account that somebody had escaped. But he from was the middle of a the murder. fifth. There were five members in that family. Yes. Okay. 
that is potentially why they were targeted. Mm-hmm. Two months ago, six members of the Wexford family perished at the hands of the fanatics, but one was an infant that had been born a day before the tragedy and in all probability had not been taken into consideration when the plans for the human sacrifice were consummated. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Now comes the Broussard family tragedy with five victims, thus completing a series of sacrifices of five separate families, mm-hmm. each evidently intended to involve five victims mm-hmm. by five alleged perpetrators. Yeah. In April, on the day that her grand jury convened, Clementine either confessed or cracked or both and announced that she'd killed the Randalls family, the Byers family, and the Andresses, as well as many others. She claimed to be a priestess in a sect called the Church of Sacrifice, an offshoot of that local holiness church I had spoke to you about a moment ago. Wait, she's a go-getter. At 17, she's a priestess? Yep. It usually takes quite some time to get that. She also claims, however, that she had fortified her status as a priestess through the purchase of hoodoo charms. Clementine had purchased voodoo trinkets about two years prior, so soon after they moved... To that location Mm -hmm. during a trip with friends from her cult to a town called New Iberia. She and a friend or multiple friends, depending on which source you read, bought trinkets from an old man for $3 a piece. Wow. That's a lot then. That is expensive. The old man told them about the trinkets powers. This man, a local voodoo priest, was named Joseph Thibodeau who asserted that he was simply a dealer of herbs and medicines. Mm -hmm. But Clementine said that she was sold an invisibility charm and that it had worked. I love how you're looking at me. (laughs) I want to know. How do we know the charm worked? Yeah. Well, in the fall of 1909, two years before the Andrus murders, she states that they drew straws to see if the charm would work. They were in Rain, Louisiana, staying at her sister's house. Clementine states that she got an axe, A house was lit, and she saw a woman sleeping. She entered the home and cracked the skull of the woman with an axe and then axed her son and two more kids there. Mm. The voodoo trinkets worked, she says, and they were never caught for that murder. This was the unsolved Rain, Louisiana murder in 1909 of Edna Opelousas and her three children. Good God. Strangely, however, everyone that Clementine disclosed as an accomplice or who was with her had an alibi. Because they had a cloak trinket too. Well, she's the only one taking responsibility or she's disclosing names and these people are all smarter than her. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're saying, nope, not me. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there. I have an alibi. And mm. maybe they were all at church. I mean, that's it's just right, a thought. Right. Was Clementine mentally ill? Was she a voodoo priestess? Was she the leader of a sect known as the Human Five? All of those things can be true at once. Murders had continued after her incarceration as well, mm-hmm. some of which she took responsibility for because I think that she wants, orchestrated that wants or to just, be yeah, okay. responsible. Okay. So after the Texas newspaper article appeared, this is obviously when Clementine is in jail. Hattie Dove and her three children, and I'm going to find the date for that for you, uh, February 19th, 1912. Hattie Dove and her three children were killed in Beaumont. Mm-hmm. Mother and son, Ernest, were found in bed in a front room. Ernest was hit with the blade of the axe while the women were hit with the blunt end. Hmm. Kind of makes you feel like maybe there was a man involved. Mm-hmm. One axe blow had missed and hit the wall. So this is the first time we hear of like a, a mistake. A mis- yeah. Or had somebody woken up. Mm-hmm. And after the murders, 
the killer and this uh, axe murderer wiped his bloody hands with a cloth and then left the cloth and the axe on the floor. This axe was also owned by a man living two blocks away, and oh. his axe had been replaced with a different axe. So, uh, uh, and are they members of the church? I wrote here in my notes, was the Church of Sacrifice much bigger yeah. than originally yeah. thought? Yeah. We're talking about Beaumont, Texas here. Yeah. Still along the South Pacific Railway. Mm-hmm. Still where King George or whatever is King, King Harrison. King Harrison could travel along preaching his gospel, yes. right? And getting followers. On April 1st of 1912 in the Lafayette jail, Clementine admitted that she had killed 17 people total, just herself, mm-hmm. including the four members of the Randall family, the four members of the Anders family, a family of five in Rain, that's our Opelousas, and a family of four at Crowley. She said that her gang had consisted of two other women and two men at Rain. So that's five, by the way. I was just going to say, you held your hand up. That's five. She said again that they had drawn straws and she was chosen to wield the axe while the others watched. Do you find this interesting? Because can we talk about the strength that it takes to wield an axe and actually hit your target and do damage? Have you ever tried to chop wood, Megan? Fuck yes, I have. And I am a weak woman. I can. It's can not split. easy. No, I'm, I can maybe hit some thin branches off a tree, but once yeah. you put that there, no, it requires some um, some strength. Mm-hmm. I just It makes me wonder how burly Clementine really was. There's pictures. Oh, okay. But she's 17 and looks relatively almost, ana- I mean, innocuous, cute, almost. Okay. Like, it just makes me wonder, did she actually do this? Well, was she physically capable of doing she this? She did have a voodoo charm. Mm. of increased uh, visibility, perhaps for strength, all of these things. All right, all right. She says, after killing the two adults, quote, it was an easy matter to get rid of the two small children. We thought it was better to kill them than to leave them orphans as they would suffer. Concerning interesting the, theory, yeah. Concern. Well, she's she is portrayed as as crazy multiple times. Well, I'm I, honestly I'm sitting here going, is she taking credit for these murders because she knows if she goes back home, she testified against her dad, and she's as good as dead anyway because she literally testified, if you let him out, I'm as good as dead, and he's out. Well, there's that. Just, in, interesting theory as well concerning the Andrus family, and this is how we have some interesting confirmations. So, how much of this was disclosed, we don't know prior, but she knew and stated, we took the man and woman placed them in a kneeling position beside Mm. the bed and left the house. Okay. Maybe that is a detail that hadn't been, you know, released and then she knew it. And you're going to love this because we see it often. I was one of the first to aid the relatives the next day and helped prepare the bodies (sighs) for burial. Fuck. Yes. Fine. She is a serial killer. She was asked if the victims were chosen, you know, for any particular reason. And now it's interesting because she says no, that they weren't selected particularly. We started out not knowing who the victims would be. I mean, other than locations and such. And number of victims. And number. So huh. she just, she kind of contradicts herself by saying they weren't selected for So she's for a covering up reason. the church in that they possibly left the church and that's why they were targeted. She ha- she is. Absolutely. And so there's this thought that they could have been former church med- uh, members. Were they being targeted? They were certainly being targeted, though, for the number of people there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and this how- wasn't random. Or were they family members of people who were in the church and they were trying to Talk them out of like, no, this isn't a good thing. You know, maybe they were never members themselves, but they were naysayers of how this church is running, you know, because members of the Christ sanctified holy church would indicate that they were not supporters or endorsers of human sacrifice of any kind. Mm -hmm. It was the, the subsect. Yes. Those little satellite. Yes. Versions. She's described, um, and 
uh, this is in resume of a case. So what they would have had for transcripts at their point in time Mm -hmm. as self-contradictory, sometimes indicating that she had assistance in the murders and often boasting of having committed them, especially the Lafayette crimes alone. Mm -hmm. She stated she had used a gun only once. And that was when she shot Randall after he was dead. So she's indicating she shot him in the head. After he was at okay, why you ask? Yes, that's exactly. There's what no I'm answer. Thinking. Why I mean, would what, you have shot Randall after you asked him and his whole family? Yeah, and why all of a sudden include a gun and your weapons? When and did we ever know? Was it Randall's gun? We don't. Okay, like does she have? Does a 17 year old girl have a gun? She or somebody who was with her, or and or like, was it Randall's gun himself? Like you prefaced now, this, you don't know the details that might have been released, uh, you know, ahead of time that she could have been reading up on or whatnot. But or remember, I had just stated to the African American community had armed themselves. Right, they were scared. Yeah. Was it his gun loaded next to his under sure. his pillow? You know, sure. to, to protect himself. And did she find it and then just be like. Saw the opportunity. was like, well, I'm going to see what happens. Yeah. 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 We don't know. But from she's her account. not on her rocker. She's not. And it goes on to say that from her account, which was quote unquote vile and repulsive, it was uh, learned that she was. And this is what they describe her. An unnatural moral pervert who at times Ooh. had strong desires to fondle people. Mm-mm. I want to note to you that there is no evidence of sexual abuse, but I believe this is what they considered her fondling. When she had killed her victims, she indulged in her passions to her heart's content. She's indicating that she like held them to her, like held oh, them to her, like to hold them. Like in a caressing. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. And I'm going to get to her exact tender. explanation in a, okay. in a few minutes. Yes. But there was nothing other than her being, I mean, would they have considered an unnatural moral pervert, somebody who killed people and then hugged the dead bodies? Potentially. I would think that that could classify you as an unnatural moral yes. pervert. And I also want to point out that on a number of occasions from the little research that I did on the whole man from the train, just in case anybody's thinking it may still be him, he was often sexually motivated in these axe murders. And there is just no indication that there was sexual molestation in these cases okay yeah yeah sheriff lacoste who was the investigating sheriff at least uh, regarding the lafayette murders um, believed that there was a total of 35 african americans in louisiana and texas that had been murdered wow he indicated that um and this is after the proven chemical analysis made by dr a.l metz the chemist of new orleans that Clementine Barnabet is rational, and I believe it is true, except as to details given with the purpose of confusing others as to her accomplices. Mm-hmm. So he's thinking this is all intentional. I have some more info, though, on I, our I, voodoo. I would kind of agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with them as well. Yeah. Also, do you find it interesting that there's about 35? There's the five in that. There, it, was, it, was, it was a multiple mm-hmm. of five, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Joseph Thibodeau, that reverend who yeah. sold the charms. So the same day that Clementine had uh, confessed, he was actually arrested in New Iberia and transported to the Lafayette jail. He claimed then that he was a root doctor and did not deal in charms, but he did tell fortunes by using cards and reading palms. Oh, just keep listening. He said one of his remedies was giving a patient a piece of paper with 25 letters in five lines. The patient was instructed when they felt bad 
to tear off one of the letters, roll it up in a ball, and swallow it. He said that anyone in possession of this paper was protected from harm, which seemed to contradict his statement that he did not sell charms. I was just going to say, hold up, buddy. He tried to prove his credentials as a healer by producing a letter from a woman from Beaumont, Texas, who had requested his healing aid. Um, He was also ultimately uh, released um, with an alibi. Oh, interesting. All these people have alibis. On April 4th, there were six indictments returned by a grand jury charging Clementine with the murders at the Randall residence. Uh, Her trial date was to be set uh, two days later. An arrested Reverend Thompson was intensely questioned about the sacrifice sect. And here's why. So this Reverend Thompson, who kind of comes up out of nowhere, obviously he's a pastor somehow, a reverend for one of the sacrifice sect churches Mm -hmm. but they find an underlined passage in the king james bible that he had with him that said and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree therefore every tree which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire oh god so you mean axing down sinners that's what it sounds like, love. Yeah. But he seemed to be afflicted with a faulty memory mm-hmm. uh, and, and didn't... Uh, uh, dementia. But, I got the dementia. Yeah. But he mm-hmm. did admit when members of his church became sanctified, they were told they no longer could sin against God and that uh, criminal law did not constrain their actions. Oh, it didn't. They're mm-hmm. above criminal law, are they? Yes. Interesting. Clementine had blamed uh, Mr. Thibodeau there, the reverend, uh, mm-hmm. for planting the idea of murder in her mind. Sure. I yeah, literally, I sold, can see that. Well, yeah. he sold her the invisibility charm and then they drew straws to commit a murder. So it must be, must be his fault or God. they've all conspired together. Could you imagine together. that as your defense? Well, I drew the short straw. I'm sorry. Exactly. <laughs> uh, on April 8th, Clementine's arraignment was canceled. She told a reporter that three additional families, totaling 13 victims, would be murdered in the near future near Lafayette. Really? Yep. There had been a number of suspects uh, by the end of April that had been arrested, and I've just named a couple, um, but every single one of those arrestees were released. So let's talk about Clementine's uh, trial. Getting here to the end. I'm, I'm winding it down. Man, I'm just thinking she's like predicting 13 more people be killed. I can't imagine what chaos this town was. Or they were all in. planned originally. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so they're in chaos. The murders, the murders are still happening. Yeah, because it doesn't matter who's in jail. It is an absolute organized institution that is doing this. Yes, and let me just note that after I've got all the way through Hattie Dove, but there are two other murders that occurred that I'm not going to go into detail in because it is so questionable as to whether it was this murder or even potentially other axe murders at the time. But I want to note that there was a Lyle Finucane, Ellen Monroe, and their four children killed on March 27th of 19. 19- 12 in Glidden, Texas. Okay. And it's moving farther away from Louisiana. We're going down into Texas now, but still yeah. along the So Pacific Rail- Railway. Okay. And then April 11th in San Antonio again, five victims, uh, William Burton, mm. his wife, two children, and Leon Evers. So these, okay. these murders, murders are still happening and they are axe murders. Mm-hmm. So Clementine was very difficult uh, for her three attorneys also to oh, defend. I, I bet. Uh, she proved to be incredibly difficult and they er- had originally wanted to enter a plea um, for her and did for uh, for religious insanity. Sure. Uh, Brainwash. Yes. Uh, the root concept here of this uh, theory of insanity being that um, it could exhaust a constitutionally weak nervous system, you know, for us women. I was just going to say, that means she's a woman. She's a woman. She's constitutionally weak. 
There yeah. is a, a newspaper at the time, which I will not read the uh, name of it because it is incredibly racist, uh, what the, even the title of it is. Um, but it quoted her and describing, in, or dis- I'm sorry, quoted and describing her in unflattering terms that the woman is in the lowest scale of humanity and totally devoid of any sense of pity or ordinary conception of shame and disgrace is conclusive and borne out by her whole life, which has been pitched on the lowest plane of morality. That was beautiful. Very well said. It keeps going. The officers from years past have repeatedly driven her from town. While the woman at times seems practically insane, she yet has a certain intelligence and cunning. Ever since her incarceration, she has successfully foiled the officers in their attempts to get at the true facts of the case. And when she deceives the officers by giving them some false clue, she smiles with devilish delight and chuckles over her victory. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Clementine states at her trial, quote, this is from uh, Butcher S. Guilty and the other one that I'm not going to read out loud on uh, radio. I am the woman of the sacrifice sect. I killed them all. Men, women, and babies, and I hugged the dead bodies to my heart. But I am not guilty of murder. Despite her attorney's objections, she wanted her confession entered into the trial record. Okay. She felt if she was going to be executed, then, pursuant to her religion, an angel in a chariot of fire would save her. Clementine and, and did it? I don't think so. Okay. Wait, it does. Listen. Oh. Clementine was convicted of killing Mrs. Randall and sentenced to life in prison on October 25th of 1912. She was only, so one conviction, all these murders, I want you to keep in mind, all these murders, there's one conviction for one person in one of the murders. She was convicted of killing Mrs. Randall, Azima. Nine years later, in an article describing the Louisiana State Penitentiary, where penitentiary, this is where Clementine had been sent. It's known as Angola, by the way, and it still exists. I believe it's known as one of the worst uh, penitentiaries in the United States. Yeah. So Louisiana State Penitentiary. There was an examination by medical experts that disclosed the fact that she was a pervert. She was given a life term in the penitentiary penitentiary jesus i know it's it's hard some now you understand where i'm coming from when i can't say regular words and when she was brought to baton rouge she was subjected to another examination now during the time that she is incarcerated um she does attempt to escape one time and she's caught in the swamps but despite her attempting to escape they basically say that um she was no trouble when she was in prison and i think everybody tries to escape back then though Maybe, maybe this is why. Oh, God. Did she start a religion? Prison surgeons performed oh. an operation that restored her to normal condition. What? The procedure used to cure Clementine is unknown. But note, lobotomies were not performed <laughs> until 10 years later in the U.S. Uh. We have no idea what procedure was performed. But after that, apparently, she was a model citizen. And get this. She was fixed. She was discharged on April 28th, 1923. Holy shit. So she served her life sentence from October 25th of 1912 to April 28th uh, 11 of 1923. Years? 11 years. Okay. So here's some things for you. Because it's, it's pretty much the end of the case. But here's some stuff I want you to keep in mind. In 1985, a woman... Uh, who is not named, tells the story of her grandmother who had told her the story of the uh, woman known as Clementine Barnabet. When her grandmother passed away at the age of 103, 
She found a picture of her grandmother that was the spinning image identical to Clementine Barnabat. Now, the reason that this is important is because after April 28th of 1923, there was no record of Clementine Barnabat anywhere. We have ever. no idea where she went, eh? None. She lived to be 103, this possibly? This potentially. Also note, Clementine Barnabat, if she truly performed these murders, and she is a, a serial killer, an axe murderer, right. is the first female African-American serial killer known here in the United wow. States. And she was 17 years of age. Holy shit. She is the only person who was ever convicted of any of these crimes. Wow. Did they know she was not guilty? Is that why they let her go, Charnel? Yeah. Did they know she was culpable, but she wasn't the one? Everybody else had an alibi. She took a fall for an entire voodoo cult of sacrificial killings, if we want to look at it that way. And I kind of do. I kind of do, too. Because you know what's interesting to me about this all being female and given the time in our history, right? A man would have been put to death. And she was sentenced to life where her father, Raymond, was sentenced to hang. Right. And, and his was appealed. And they, um, I'm sure, imagine, eventually they're not going to make a, a tender woman serve a life sentence necessarily. She was so, 17? Right. Possibly nuts. I, I wonder if she was the fall guy just because they were telling her, you'll be the most protected. And, you know, and we'll give you these charms and that'll help too. And she believed these. She believed she these, did. Car- Clearly, these charms. Clearly, she believed these very wholeheartedly. Do you want some interesting information? I, of course, I always want interesting I information. I researched because I could not help myself the number five. Yeah. So the number five represents spiritual growth and self-confidence and it's a symbol of balance. Five okay. in the Bible symbolizes God's grace, goodness, and favor toward humans. There are also five books of God's law, the Pentateuch, and five is also, in a human anatomy, a human outstretched. A human forms oh, yeah. a pentagon. A pentagon, yeah. Outstretched arms and legs with the head, and then the five fingers splayed mm-hmm. as well. And note that a five-pointed star downward represents witchcraft and black magic. Mm-hmm. So just some little things that I thought we should all tuck in our back pockets while we're thinking about this and potential implications of, of voodoo. Was yeah. this a, were these sacrificial killings? Because I think they were. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that there was a whole cult going on at the time oh, that yeah. she was clearly a part of and and felt and a leader uh, yeah well it, don't you find that interesting too of how it, like I said it, it takes usually a little bit of time to work your way up to the high priestess yeah. you know well uh, maybe after she moved there in 1909 and uh went to get the um uh Grigri. Yeah. And then was able to be invisible and commit a murder since she was the one that drew the straw. Was it the short one or the long one? I don't know. Were there five straws? I don't know. (laughs) We can just speculate all day long. But her ranks uh, as a priestess may have have gone up at that point in time. Mm -hmm. But there were multiple um, sources that I I looked at that indicated or called her a a high priestess of this sect. Mm -hmm. So, yes, it was very, very, very interesting. That is. What a great case that you brought us for Shocktober for your first case. Good. Did you like it? I did. I loved it. Loved it. Are you ready for a brain bath? Of course I am. These were axe murders, so I feel like I should bathe you a little you bit. You absolutely have to bathe me. Yes. Well, I'm I'm kind of going to uh, bathe you in blood then. How about... How appropriate. How about uh, 72, but I'm not going to read all of these, of course. People share their weirdest Halloween stories from Bored Panda. <gasps> 
Yes. Okay. A lot of these are trick or treat related. <laughs> At talk to Allison says, I had a kid come to my door later than all the other kids. He was dressed in red. He didn't say trick or treat. He said, I'm your period. Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> winner oh my god i love that <laughs> yep i was the class clown uh, this is at real mr gerardo i was the class clown and thought it would be funny to come to school dressed as our teacher for halloween i showed up early and sat at my teacher's desk but then the teacher came and dressed as me and sat at mine <laughs> i guess he overheard my plan <laughs> well played very well played that is funny in 1994, I went to a party where three people dressed up like David Hasselhoff from Baywatch. At one point, someone accidentally fell in the pool and all the Hasselhoffs jumped in to save him. <laughs> How about this, Charnel? Shit. At Rowdy Phelan says, I brought the wrong kid home. I didn't notice till the mask came off. Oh my God. I could see how that could Accidental happen. Accidental kidnapping. Yeah. yeah. Back in the 80s when we were out test or testifying, when we were out trick-or-treating as little kids and there was a plastic mask that you couldn't yeah. see through. They were all the same. And you can't breathe in and it made your face sweaty. Exactly. Well, you were basically suffocating, possibly going to get hit by a car. Right. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I could see how that would be. <laughs> It's weird that the kid didn't say anything, though. No, right? He's just like, I don't go He was in a guy. sugar coma. That's true. At Nina Marie 6 says, I had to work on Halloween last year, and this girl uh, came in in a taco costume. She ordered tacos. About three bites in, she looks at her friend and goes, is this cannibalism? <laughs> she says, the jury's still out debating. <laughs> is this cannibalism? Yes, we had a is. crazy, I love this one at CTC, uh, or I'm sorry, at CT Champlain. We had a lady down the street, Crazy Lynn. Yeah, she gave us cigarettes instead of candy. We were eight. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> crazy Lynn. Here's a ball mall for you. I want to be that lady. She, re she reminds you of the ants from the Simpsons. <laughs> oh my God, you're so right. Do you like a Virginia Slim or something a little harder, like a Marlboro unfiltered? This guy at uh, Disvobo says, I was at a party and two people dressed as Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump started making out. No. A person responds, that is horrific. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. Hashtag weirdest Halloween ever from TDH. To get to the house where a Halloween party was one year, you had to park at a grocery store and walk across the street. My friend had dressed up as Moses, and he parted the road every time someone <laughs> arrived. <laughs> I love it. God is probably like, all right, I'll let you have this one. That was funny. How about that? For somebody who has pets, you'll love this. The doorbell made our great Dean nervous, so we mm. gave him some vet-prescribed Xanax to relax for the night. But he was so stoned that at one point he walked out the front door and peed on someone. <laughs> Don't do drugs, dogs. Ew, Charnel. So As a kid, I went trick-or-treating and a man in a mad scientist costume gave me a bag of sauerkraut when I knocked on his door. No, no one wants your kraut, man. No. Oh, homemade sauerkraut. And I feel like I should end on the most stoned person. Oh, sure. Yeah. I dressed up as Tony the Tiger and lost track of my friends at a bar, but luckily three strangers dressed as Snap, Crackle, and Pop were sitting at the other <laughs> side, so we spent the rest of the night talking about cereal. <laughs> and being mascots for cereal. 
That was it. Snap, crackle, and pop. That is an awesome Halloween idea. I think it's a really good idea. <laughs> All right, let me find one more for you, I suppose, before we uh, before we go. Before we sign off. Yeah. Snap, crackle, and pop. I egged my own house while I was drunk. In the morning, it was all cleaned up. I oh. lived alone. Oh, God. <laughs> and the only did comment he here really was... Did he really egg it or did he dream it? Or was it his house? No. Oh, good point. Yeah, Where no. did he wake up? He didn't egg his own house. That's a good point. Exactly. Oh, shoot. Well, thank you for that. Your first time bathing me. Yeah. I, you did a great job. You got all the crevices. Perfect. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking my virginity. <laughs> Anytime. I hope it was good for happy. you. It was. I'm always, always happy to do that. Um, okay. That's a weird way to end, but we're gonna anyway. We are. We hope that you guys keep it curious. Keep listening. If you would like to binge more exclusive content that the rest of the world has never heard, it's totally worth it. Go over to Crime Curious. No, I always start that way. Go over to patreon.com slash crime curious or click the link that's in the show notes here. And also follow us on social media that helps us get seen. If you don't ever, you know, if that's all you can do is follow us on social media. God damn it. Do it, guys. We follow post us. funny stuff. Comment. Like. Yes. Ooh, comments Tell us are we're good. pretty. When you comment things, it actually pushes it into other people's newsfeed that might enjoy true crime stuff. So, like, comment away. We will talk to you. We don't have a hired person that is, like, no. doing our social media stuff. When we comment, it's us. It's us. It is us. So, you know, join the chat with us. But anyway, all right. Well, we hope you have our... Uh, have our <laughs> <laughs> and bye-bye. Bye-bye.